Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. This afternoon we've come to Lord's Day 39 in the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 555 in the back of your book of praise. And here the church, God's people, confess the following. What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and to all those in authority over me, submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. 
After the sermon, we will voice our amen together by singing the words of Psalm 119, stanza 4. Psalm 119, stanza 4, after the sermon. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, that includes you, boys and girls, who are members of God's covenant and congregation. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, addresses issues of authority and obedience. It addresses how we must conduct ourselves toward authority, but also how authority is supposed to be used. It's not in our nature, is it, to submit to authority? And that shouldn't really surprise us. It's been that way ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden in paradise. They rebelled against God's authority. They believed the lie of Satan. They thought they could get out from under God's authority. And they thought in this way they could have freedom. But oh, how differently things turned out. Instead of being free to serve God, they, with all their children after them, became enslaved to sin and to sinful desires. And ever since that day, all their children are born rebels. That includes us. Ever since the fall into sin, there hasn't been a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who says, I don't want to do that. Because of the fall into sin, those in authority are often tempted to become autocratic and tyrannical, but those who are supposed to be submissive are tempted to take that authority for themselves. And so preaching on the fifth commandment always remains relevant. It contains a foundational principle for how we as redeemed children of God ought to live before his face and with one another. And that's because the Lord Jesus has redeemed us for a life of freedom to serve God in the way God intended. So I've summarized the sermon this way. The Lord requires us to honor and to obey authority. We'll consider the nature of authority and obedience or the origin of authority and obedience. Secondly, the exercise of authority and obedience. And thirdly, the limits of authority and obedience. So the Lord commands us, honor your father and your mother. Now note how in our confession that the phrase due obedience is used. I submit myself with due obedience. Well, something that is due is something that is owed, isn't it? It's obligatory. It is a parent's right to receive obedience from their children. And their children owe their parents obedience. But this obedience is not owed on the basis of power. It is owed on the basis of God-given authority. True authority and obedience can only be associated with God. So you see, obedience just for the sake of obedience, or obedience that is coerced, that's not true obedience. That's not genuine obedience. It's not enough that I simply yield to authority. But if I am obedient, I must submit myself to that authority in a due obedience to God's instructions. Because ultimate authority belongs to God alone. He alone rules in heaven and on earth. And He is the creator and the redeemer of life. 
Therefore, life and the governing and the ordering of life also belongs to him. That falls under his authority. So consequently, all authority on earth originates in God. No one has authority of him or herself, but receives it from God. Of course, there's many people who don't believe that, but that doesn't make it any less true. Adam received authority from God. We read about that in Genesis chapter 1. God said to him, told him to fill the earth and to subdue it, to cultivate it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God clothed Adam with authority. And so he became God's representative, God's ambassador on earth. The authority that God gave Adam was part of the, the image of who he was as image bearer of God. And for that reason, we can also say that the fifth commandment is a creation ordinance. From the very beginning, God ordered and structured society and placed mankind in charge of his creation. So all authority flows from that charge. The Apostle Paul writes that as well in Romans 13. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, boys and girls, it's, it's God who stands behind dad and mom and the teacher. It is God who stands behind the police officer and the members of parliament and the elders of the church. And that's why dad and mom can never say, you have to listen to me and that's it. That ain't it. It's only it because God says so. Our obedience only flows from the bond that we have with our Creator, and our authority only flows from the bond that we have with our Creator. So, so whenever we encounter authority, we encounter our Creator, the living God, Elohim, whom we heard about this morning. And that's why, boys and girls, when you disobey your parents, you are disobeying the God who stands behind them, who has placed them in authority over you. But the character of our obedience is even more profound than that because this command also comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, if you love me, you will do what I command. John chapter 10. And that brings us even closer to the heart and the character of obedience. You see, there are two possible ways to be obedient or to submit to authority. You can either do that grudgingly or willingly. So there's the kind of obedience that comes with grumbling and complaining. We've all experienced that, and we've all done that as well, haven't we? There's the unwilling obedience. For example, do you obey the speed limit because you love the authorities who stand behind the limit that is posed? Or do you obey the speed limit because you don't want to get a ticket? You don't have to answer that. Or you could work really hard only because you are motivated by the possibility of getting a promotion. That's what the Apostle Paul calls eye service. We read about that in Colossians 3, the kind of obedience that is just done to please people or to please yourself. It only gives the appearance of obedience without really, as Paul says, working heartily as for the Lord. That's not the due obedience which we confess in the Catechism. Due obedience is that which is done out of honor 
love, and faithfulness. That's what we confess. And Paul describes this kind of obedience in Colossians 3 when he he connects obedience to the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Servants, obey your masters. Serving the Lord. Well, why? Well, we find the answer to that in the very beginning of the chapter. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if indeed you have been raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is the love of Christ then that demands obedience which comes from love. And that's why this commandment is in the section on thankfulness in the catechism. The Lord doesn't, and, and the Lord Jesus doesn't demand obedience or else, but He has first loved us. And therefore, we gladly love Him and follow Him and obey Him. He has delivered us and He has redeemed us from, from that first sin of rebellion and disobedience, which brought all this, this misery into the world. But he has not only delivered us from the punishment of that sin, but also from sin itself. It is by the power of the Spirit of Christ that we are free from the spirit of rebellion and revolution. By the power of his Spirit and Word, we we can learn true obedience. And we learn to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. And that's, that's not our doing. That's not our faithfulness. But that is Christ's redeeming work in us. Because by His Spirit, He renews us in His image so so that we become more like Christ. We become more and more obedient. We we become more submissive also to God's Word and to those in authority over us, just as Christ was also obedient to His Father in heaven and submissive to those in authority over Him. So, I mentioned that whenever we encounter authority, we encounter the Creator God. But also, whenever we encounter authority, we encounter our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who restores authority to its proper position. And Scripture tells us that we must have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. And that then is what due obedience is, submitting to authority out of reverence for Christ. It is in His goodness that God gives us the fifth commandment. Imagine a home without the authority of parents. Or imagine a school without the authority of teachers. Or a church without office bearers. Or a country without a justice system. There would just be chaos and disorder and society would self-destruct. But the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring heavenly obedience down to earth. And by this new obedience to become part of building one another up. So, whoever wishes to be part of building God's church, whoever desires to assist in building up God's people, must pray this prayer and honor the fifth commandment. God gives this command for our sake, even for the very sake of our own salvation. 
So now let's consider the exercise of authority and obedience. We learn from the Catechism that obedience to the Fifth Commandment includes obedience to all who have authority over us. But as with the other commandments, the Fifth Commandment begins with the basic principle, it of obey your parents. It's helpful to recognize that obedience begins in the home, and this principle gets applied to the rest of life. God in His goodness has ordained that the home is the first school of obedience, and the family is the training ground for honor, love, and faithfulness. It is in the family that children get their first taste of authority. And that's why whatever happens in the family is of such great significance, because the family is the source of all other relationships. It is in the Christian home that children first meet the authority of their Heavenly Father. And that's why it's so important that parents, especially fathers, do not act like tyrants and dictators. It is God's intention that authority in the family is placed in the hands of a loving and caring father. And we all know the sad reality that this authority is often abused because many equate authority with power. And many use authority for their own sinful pleasure and gain. That's one of the horrific realities of this sin-filled world. Woe to the father, especially the Christian father who abuses that authority because then he abuses the image of God in which both he and his children and his wife have been created. Instead, parents, and again fathers in particular, brothers, we must be very conscious of the fact that we are bearing the image of God the Father in our homes. That's why as parents we must give our children good instruction and discipline. And so you see that in this way, the commandment also addresses those who are in authority. It doesn't just address the children or those under authority. Parents have the duty to give the kind of instruction and discipline that leads to further understanding of who their Father in Heaven is. Isn't that what we learned from Deuteronomy chapter 6? After speaking about His law, what Moses says to the people, and the Lord says to His people through Moses, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And he tells the parents, you shall teach them to your children. When you, and talk to them about it. When you sit in your house, when you're walking down the road, when you're lying down and when you get up. But what does this mean? It means, first of all, that as Christian fathers and mothers, we must remember that we are raising covenant children. Children who have been claimed by God. They are God's children. He placed His triune name on them when they were baptized. So our first task as parents is to teach our children about Him and His ways and His will for their lives. That's not, first of all, the task of the teacher or the catechism instructor, but it is the task of the parents. And we confess that children must show all honor, love, and faithfulness. So parents have to teach their children how to do this. They must do this with instruction and discipline, but even more importantly, we must do this by example. Children should be able to see that dad and mom love the Lord. They should be able to see that dad and mom love God's commandments and that they are faithful to their promises. 
also to those who are in authority over them. And they, they have to be an example to their children of how to follow this commandment. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul warns fathers not to provoke their children lest they become discouraged. I'm sure most of you are very well aware that children have a very sharp hypocrisy antenna. They naturally have a strong sense of justice. And they rightfully become exasperated and discouraged if they see that parents demand respect from them, but at the same time do not return that respect or show honor to those who are over them. It's not good when parents demand respect from their children, but they trash talk the teachers or the elders or the prime minister and the premier. Because in the home, parents represent God the Father. And so it is their task to ensure that their children show honor, love, and faithfulness. Because this is the way the Lord is honored in the family home. But it has to be done by example. You have the duty, of course, also sometimes to stand up for God's rights in the home. You have the duty to maintain the honor of God. But you do this by training your children. But even more importantly, by showing them what that looks like in your life. How many children have not left the church because parents or office bearers have failed in this regard, failed to show honor, love, and faithfulness in their own lives? And that's why it's so important that we as parents and children understand what honor, love, and faithfulness means for our respective positions. The word honor is a word that indicates worthiness. It indicates that someone's position carries weight. God is described in Scripture as having weight. His word carries weight. His judgments carry weight. Well, God takes some of that weight and He places it on others. He places it on parents and teachers and elders and governments. So we need to show honor to those who carry that weight. It also includes faithfulness. That means we must be consistent in showing honor. It means we must be trustworthy. Boys and girls, your parents should be able to count on you. When you promise to be home at 11 o'clock, that's what you do. And you don't roll your eyes at your parents because you think they're out of touch with this world. You see, parents receive some of God's weight and authority. And so they have the right to receive due honor, obedience, and faithfulness. And notice how, the, how our confession puts the word honor before obedience. It wants to teach us that we owe due obedience, not so much because dad and mom you know, give you so many good things and, and, and take care of you, but because of their office. God has given them an office, a position of authority, so again, it is God who stands behind that authority, the, on, the authority of your parents. And that means you have to honor them even though you know they're not perfect. In fact, even when they show their imperfections, you are to protect their honor. And that's true also when it comes to teachers in school, the consistory in the church, your boss at work, and the government of the country, even if those in authority do not recognize that they rule by God's hand, the fifth commandment, 
still applies. Paul writes, they are servants of God for your good, even if they don't admit it. And it's so important that we understand this commandment in that light, congregation. Because only then will we understand our obligation toward those in authority. Only then will our authority or our obedience be characterized by honor, love, and faithfulness. And only when we consider this command in faith will we be able to look past the faults of those whom God has set in authority. You see, the Bible and our confession never gives us the impression that that people in authority have no faults. But we're taught that love is also patient with their weaknesses and shortcomings. Now, of course, it's important that those in authority also are reminded of this and remind that we remind ourselves of this. Right? We remind ourselves we have many weaknesses. We often fall short. We're not nearly as faithful and consistent as we are ought to be. We could be more patient. We could be more loving. We, we could always do a better job of exercising discipline. We need to be reminded of that. We need to remain humble. We need to be ready to admit when we messed up. One of the greatest gifts that parents can give to their children is is to apologize for your mistakes. That can sometimes go a long way. That can make a much greater impression, perhaps, than a good spanking. And pray that you have a good enough relationship with your children that they have the courage to call you out when needed. You know, brothers and sisters, if you really think about it, it's a great miracle that anything good comes from the authority on earth, isn't it? It's a miracle that anything good comes from weak parents and teachers and office bearers. They all have shortcomings when we have to admit it. Because those weaknesses and faults are there for everyone to see. And as our kids get older, they see our faults even more clearly. And this can be, this can be hard for parents. It can, it can also be disconcerting for children. You know, the man who I thought was a hero when I was six years old, the older I got, the more I realized, you know what? Dad's a great sinner too. He's a broken man. And he needs Christ just as much as I do. But then we have to remember that Christ covers all those weaknesses and shortcomings. He redeems the sins of fathers and mothers and children, all those who trust in him. And we have to be very careful that we tread carefully here. Because we're not always so enamored with those in authority over us, are, they? are we? And it's, and it's so easy to point out the faults of parents and how bad the boss is and, and, and the mess that the government is making of our lives. We often talk that way, don't we? But if we confess to love the Lord, we also have to act in a way and talk in a way that's pleasing to Him. If we confess to love the Lord Jesus... We don't have the right to determine for ourselves whom and when we will obey. That comes from God's word, not from our own opinions. And so we're also required to have patience. The ultimate exercise of obedience is expressed in showing loving patience. It's a manifestation of love. And the best way for us to learn that is by remembering each and every day what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. How much patience 
doesn't our Father in Heaven have for us? How many of our faults doesn't He have to put up with every single day? And He knew that already on the day that you were baptized. And yet He claimed you as His own, knowing that you would sin for the rest of your life on earth. And how much do we show a lack of love so often? And how often don't we display unfaithfulness? Congregation, the Lord shows us much more patience than what we ever show to anyone else. Let's remember that next time that we're upset with someone in authority over us. Finally, let's also consider the limits of earthly authority and obedience, because there is a limit. The same apostle, Peter, who wrote, Fear God and honor the king, also said we must obey God rather than men. So that means there are, there are limits to authority on earth. We believe that parents and elders and governments may not forbid what God commands and may not command what God forbids. And in many ways, that's an easy principle to understand. No one may encourage you or coerce you to sin against the Lord or to get you to go along with something that is sinful, and you may resist that, right? The fifth commandment never gives anyone the right to abuse another person. You may resist that. But there are also times in our life when it's not so clear which commandment we should obey. Sometimes two commandments bump up against each other. Let me just give you an example. What if your child is severely injured, is bleeding really badly, and there's no ambulance nearby? You would speed on the way to the hospital, and you would run a few red lights to get there too, wouldn't you? You would disobey the laws of the land, fifth commandment, in order to preserve the life of your child, sixth commandment. Or consider the Sabbath law. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. And he defended his disciples for plucking ears of grain on the Sabbath when they were hungry. Or consider Christians who lived during times of persecution. Already in the early Christian church, there were Christians who willingly gave themselves up to the authorities, knowing that they would be martyred for their faith. Others, however, resisted arrest by going into hiding. Martin Luther did that, for example, after the Diet of Worms. The question is, what biblical principles must we follow in order to make decisions when we're confronted with really perplexing situations? I know that's a huge topic, but allow me to say a few things. Let's first of all keep in mind that God gives us His law in order to preserve life, physical and spiritual life. Before He says, honor your father and your mother, He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, all the commandments that follow this opening statement are meant to preserve the life of God's redeemed people. And those commands are meant to preserve them in the redemption they have received. So whenever we have to make decisions about obedience to authority, we follow that principle, that we act in a way that protects and preserves life, both physical and spiritual life. Which is why Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and he said the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We also follow the principle that we must act in a way that preserves and promotes the gospel and the kingdom of God. Let me use the Apostle Paul as an example. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes how he fled the city of Damascus when the governor of that city wanted to arrest him. And yet, at the end of his life, Paul willingly went to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to get arrested and he was going to die. Two different situations, two different responses. In both situations, though, he acted in a way that would be best for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. And you notice this also in the way Paul used his Roman citizenship. If you read through Acts 16, you read about Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. And you may wonder why Paul waited until after he was released to let the authorities know that he was a Roman citizen. Why didn't he do that at the moment he was arrested? Then maybe he wouldn't have been put in jail. But you see, congregation, he wasn't concerned for his own rights and freedoms. He did this for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. And when they were released, if Paul and Silas had just quietly snuck out of the city the way the authorities had wanted them to, they could have been accused afterwards of being troublemakers. The church could have received a bad name, but by forcing the magistrates to escort them out of the city, they were publicly exonerated. And the officials could never accuse the church of being a troublesome group of people. That's why Paul used his citizenship in that way. Not for his own sake, not for his own rights and freedoms, but for the gospel and for the church and for Christ. We have a tendency to discuss authority or to look at authority in terms of our own rights and freedoms. But it should be very clear to us that we should be very careful that we do not disobey just for personal reasons. And if we would ever consider the, the need to resist arrest, for example, or to challenge authority, we need to consider our options based on the calling to preserve and promote life and the gospel and the kingdom of God. And then we do that prayerfully and quietly and peacefully and in a godly manner that shows that we still honor and respect authority and justice. And in that way... Our neighbors, including our neighbors who are in authority over us, can clearly still see that we still love them and that we have their good in mind too. And then we do that in a way that clearly shows that we walk in humility before our God. It means that we act in a manner that seeks to honor even unjust authority. We do not revile them. We do not speak ill of them. We do not threaten them, but we pray for them. That's what we're called to do. We pray even for their soul, that they might turn to God. And in our actions, we always follow in the footsteps of Christ. He is compassionate and loving. He would never pervert God's law in order to hurt someone else for selfish purposes. And His church must do the same. In this, too, we must reflect our Savior. We're called to be disciples of Him who gave Himself up for us. We're called to live in union with this Savior who was obedient to authority. Doing that will give praise to God, will give glory to God. It is a powerful testimony to the world, and it serves the benefit and well-being of those around us. So, congregation... Let's hold the fifth commandment high at home, in the church, in school, in the workplace, and in society. Let's continue to pray for all those who are in authority over us, 
because it is God's will to govern us by their hand. And let's pray for the grace also to use our God-given authority in a way that reflects the love and the obedience that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to His Heavenly Father. Amen.